I think it's a uh, apt text for, uh, you know, the weakness of our computers here. Uh, the power of God in the midst of uh, weakness and struggle. Um, uh, I'll finish that text here. Consider your calling, uh, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let, no, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, members meeting coming up. A couple quick things before I jump into this text. Members uh, meeting coming up on the 27th. They're going to give a whole bunch of updates on the building and things to pray for uh, there. And um, that'll be super important. Please be praying uh, as well that God might provide the right space in the right time. And then if you're not a member, uh, we have a membership class on the 10th, as Andy talked about, so you can hear about what is membership, why would I want to become a member of a church, that kind of thing, and we'll help you get plugged in here. Uh, Before we get into our text, I would love, if you're able and if you're willing, would you kneel with me that we might ask God to meet us in this time? Uh, What we know is that sometimes our flesh and who we are, sometimes Satan and sometimes the ways of the world, don't want us to hear what is true of who our God is. So let's quiet ourselves before Him now. Let's, let's for a minute just praise Him for who He is silently in our minds and hearts and talk to Him and praise Him for who He is. Let's humble ourselves now and ask Him to speak to us in His Scriptures that we might know Him love Him, worship Him, serve Him. Uh, Father, as you know, this morning uh, we'll be speaking about the Gospel, the good news of what you have done, sending your Son to us, that He might live the perfect life we have not lived, that He might die a sacrificial death in our place as a substitute for the penalty we deserved, and that He might uh, be resurrected to newness of life and give us life in relationship with Yourself, Father, by the work of the Spirit, opening our eyes and walking with us in newness of life. So, Father, I just pray, God, this morning would You do um, a mighty and powerful work in each of our lives. This message sounds foolish to the world. Sometimes it sounds really foolish and crazy to us. Would you open our eyes to who you are and what you've done, and would you transform us by your power, making us your men and women to live and to share and to enjoy the good news of the gospel and what you've done for us in Christ. In a new way even, God, would we pray this morning. Open our ears to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, this morning we're starting a new series, uh, The Vision of the Well. What, what are we all about as a church, and why are we all about that? Why do we live in community the way we do? And, and right at the very heart of that, who we are as a people and why we, in a sense, do church the way we do church here, right at the very heart of all that is Jesus. Is <laughs> who Christ is and what He's done to rescue us, to make us His people, to transform our lives by the power of the good news of the Gospel. I got, I got one of those calls on Friday night that you just don't want to get. You know, it's past midnight and the phone keeps ringing in our bedroom and, and I keep saying to Courtney, shut your alarm off! <laughs> but it wasn't his, her alarm. It's my mom calling me uh, to let me know my uh, nephew, 16-year-old, is on the way to shock trauma. They live right here. I'm good, good friends with my brother. Uh, he led me to Christ in 8th grade. Man, I love him, and uh, they live right here. And so his son is being taken to shock trauma with two other buddies um, because they've been in a car accident. And uh, so he stayed up all night calling and texting on Friday night, and Saturday morning, yesterday morning, just went to shock trauma and sat with my brother all day and um, waited to see if these three little guys would be okay. And um, the car flipped over multiple times and then exploded into flames. And by God's grace, every one of them's okay. But it's in moments like that when the gospel means everything to you. I mean, it means everything to you. Because if, if, if that guy, man, that little guy, my brother's son, if he, had, if he had died, the gospel means everything at that moment. That if, if he is clinging to Christ all of eternity, he gets to spend in the joy of the Father. Man, that means everything. It means everything when you're a dad there and you're just, you just want to say, oh God, what are you doing? That just means everything because if we don't have a relationship with the living God, if He's not sovereign, if He's not good, if He's not rescued us and made us His sons and daughters by grace, the good news of the gospel, what He's done for us in Christ, then what do we have, you know, in moments like that? I'm going to buck up and be strong, right? Is that what we have? When we know we're just so weak and we can't carry the hardest things alone? Oh, we hope that we have good friends and good family. Man, I hope we do have good friends and good family. But if we don't have a loving God who has come to rescue us and give us a relationship with himself and carry us in moments like that, what do we have? Or on Monday morning, if we don't have a loving God who's going to carry us. When, when, we're, when you're a mom and you're just thinking, I am terrible at this. And I'm going to ruin my kids' lives, which is what every mom thinks. If you're a dad and you're just thinking, man, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, right? Uh, being a husband to this woman. And I'm just going to, all right, if we don't have a loving God who has rescued us and given us a relationship with himself and then showed us the way to walk in that relationship, what do we have? 
If we're single or we've been longing for a kid and that's, that child has never come, what do we have if we don't have a loving God who has rescued us and made us his sons and daughters going to carry us in that? What do we have without the gospel? Why do we go to work every Monday morning if we don't have the good news of the gospel? <laughs> we sit in a cubicle and we wonder, man, what is this all about? Is it even worth it? And, but if we have a loving God who's made us his sons and daughters, that work has eternal value as we do it with and for him. And, and that person sitting next to us in that cubicle, we didn't even know their name at first, but then we got to know their name. That means everything, an eternal soul who's going to either spend eternity with the living God or not. What do we have if we don't have the gospel? We got nothing. That's what we get. We've got nothing. We got nothing without Jesus. Paul says in this passage, Jesus, the good news of what he's done, it is power, it is life. And it sounds so stupid to the world. <laughs> so foolish to the world, so weak to the world. But he, Jesus, is where we build our whole life, what our whole lives are about, what our church is about, what the well is about, why we do everything we do. Who we are. Uh, every passage we, we look at over the next five weeks is going to come out of the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians, it's a, a book that is written in this early church, a pretty messy church. Uh, they're about five, six years in or so. And, you know, we're 10, 11 years in here, and we're also a mess. So I just thought, man, it'd be good for us to look at this passage together, these five passages, and say, what are we all about as a church? Let's remember who we are. It's been a crazy few years, right? We've come out of a cloud, and, and we've, we, we, for a few years, we've kind of hunkered in. We said, man, let's make it through this. No one winter alone, like, right? Like, let's be together. Let's look in. Let's make sure everyone's okay. And now I want us to step back and say, okay, what are we about? Who are we as a church? And there is a dying world around us that needs this mighty, powerful gospel and our Savior, so let's be about making him known together. Following our Savior, Jesus, together for the good of the world. Uh, can you just say that? That's what we are about here at the well. Let's just say, say it together. Following Jesus together for the good of the world. Now with a little gumption. Following Jesus together for the good of the world. Look one more time. Following Jesus together for the good of the world. This is, this is that following Jesus piece. The good news of the gospel that transforms our, 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 our individual lives and our life as a church. Which sounds so foolish to the world, but is the power of God to us. So, the church of Corinth, I was uh, telling us about this church where uh, this letter is written. It's probably the second letter that Paul has written. He'll reference his first letter in chapter 5 and he'll say, Man, I talked to you guys before, but it's not sinking in. Here's another letter. <laughs> He'll write another one in between what we know is First uh, and Second Corinthians, and then he'll write an, another letter. I mean, it's, it's a lot like us. It's like, man, we're very hard-headed. 
There's divisions all over the place in this church. They're arguing all over the place. What's so amazing about it is it's, it's such a diverse body. Uh, economically, you've got all these super rich and you've got these super poor. Uh, there's probably a, a whole bunch of freedmen uh, who have helped make up this church that have been sent from Rome uh, to, to colonize uh, this area in Greece. They've been, they've been let free and now they're here also. So you've got all these kind of wealthy patrons. Uh, you've got all these kind of haves and have-nots and they're all blending together and it's a giant mess and and. and Paul is going to say, let's make this all about Jesus. Uh, Corinth is on this uh, little isthmus. It's a, a four-mile piece of land here that's uh, connecting these two huger bodies of water and then the Mediterranean down here in, in Greece, right? And so uh, what's happening is a place of commerce, right? No one wants to take that 300-mile loop down to the south uh, in the sea, so they go right through this uh, little uh, bridge of land where Corinth is. There's this big hill, and on that uh, hill there is this temple to Aphrodite. So there's all this kind of uh, sexual um, uh, perversion going on in the city. Uh, they uh, hold the Isthmian Games. They're, they're known for their entertainment and their drama. They're super, maybe even the wealthiest uh, city in Paul's time. In Acts chapter 18, we get the story of how uh, the Corinthian church is founded. Priscilla and Aquila and some other big names kind of hit there, and and Paul spends about a year and a half in Corinth sharing the good news of the gospel. This gospel, which he says is so silly to the world, but in its might and power, birthed a new church in Corinth. This gospel is so powerful, it'll, it'll uh, transform the most perverted. It'll transform the wealthiest and the poorest. It'll bring this person and that person together in unity. The gospel that's so powerful and mighty, let's center our lives on it, Paul will now say. Uh, so we're going to focus right in on verse 18. Uh, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, we're just going to look at three little phrases in this one little verse that's carried out in the whole passage we just read. Uh, three short phrases and kind of unpack those a little bit and then step back at the end. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The word of the cross. Uh, what's the word of the cross? That's just kind of shorthand or a way for Paul to say the good news of the gospel. Euangelion, gospel. It's news, it's not advice. He's declaring what Jesus has done, the good news of the gospel. Paul's going to say all through this letter, that's what he preached, that's what he talked about over and over again. Uh, we preach the folly of what we preach to those who are being saved. We preach Christ crucified, he says in verse 22. We're, we're preaching this good news of the gospel. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 2, he says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He's like, man, I wasn't even a great speaker. For I decided instead to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I just wanted to come and tell you straight up, Jesus Christ lived and He died in your place. He was crucified and He rose again. He said, that's all I came to do. Plain and simple and straightforward. 
to preach the word of the cross. He'll say in chapter 9 uh, in his letter to the Corinthians right here, he'll say, uh, you know, you guys should have paid me for it, he says. <laughs> I should have, that was my job, you should have paid me for it. But then uh, Paul says, but I became a tent maker, I did it for free. And he goes, I'd, I'd preach the gospel for free. Like he just says, that's all I want to do is preach the word of the cross. And then in chapter 15, uh, he kind of summarizes it all when he's talking about Jesus' resurrection. He says, I'm going to remind you in chapter 15, verse 1, of the gospel I preached to you, this word of the cross, which you received and which you now stand and by which you're being saved if you would just hold fast to that word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. And then here he says it. For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, primary importance, what I received, that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appears to all these people and 500 and more and more. So he says that Christ, he came, right? He lives this perfect life. Then he dies on the cross as a sacrificial death in your place, the penalty you deserve. And then he raises to newness of life. He comes out of the grave and he conquers death to, to, welcome, us in, to welcome us into relationship with the living God. Paul says that's the gospel in a nutshell. God saves sinners like us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's the good news of the gospel. Uh, a little context uh, for when we think about the gospel. And as I've thought about just how do I explain this to folks and how does this sink in in my own life, I think first we were created for a relationship with God. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us, and we are His. We're His people, the sheep of His pasture. He wanted relationship with us. He made us for relationship with Him. But we said, forget you, God, and sinners sin, right? Like uh, Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Like we can picture ourselves in a different way, giving the Lord the finger, walking out the door saying, forget you, God. Maybe we've done it in our, 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 our legalism. Like we've said, forget you, God. I don't need you. I can be good enough on my own. I can attend church. I can do what's moral and right. I can live a tolerant, loving life. I don't need you, God. I can make myself good on my own. Maybe we've done it in our license or our sinfulness. Forget your ways, God. I can live as I please. I can do what I want. When it comes to my money or my sexuality or my relationships, I am my own. I'll decide. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, right? That relationship we were created to have that would flourish our lives with the living God, we've broken, we've run away, and the wage for that, the wages of our sin, it's death. God says, fine, have what you want. Go your own way. And the wages for your sinfulness, your rebellion will be your death. And now in our lack of relationship with the living God whom we were made for relationship with and for all of eternity when we're separated from him. Isaiah 59.2 says he has turned his face from us because of our sin, our transgressions. He's, he's closed his ears to us. It's a terrifying verse. God says, fine, I made you for a relationship that you would flourish with me, but you have gone your own way, so I'll turn my face from you. I'll close my ears to you. Have it your way. And that is where so many of our neighbors, coworkers, and friends are and where we once were if we have not yet trusted in Christ. 
But if we have, if we have, there's a substitute, right? That Christ has come. God said, man, I made you for a relationship and I will chase you down. So he sends his son. And his son does not say forget you, God, but lives in absolute obedience every step of the way of his life. The son is God himself, fully God and fully man, absolutely perfect. So he embraces the father at every turn, all the way even to the cross. Where Jesus is obedient all the way to his death. He says, man, God, if there is God the Father, if there is any other way, can we do it that way? And the Father says, no, this is the way. And he says, fine, I'll do it your way. And he hangs on a cross in our place. Obedient all the way to the cross. And then on the cross, he hangs as a sacrifice, paying the penalty for our rebellion, our sin. And he hangs there, the righteous one, for us, the unrighteous ones. The one who deserves nothing, no death, takes our death on our behalf. And then he resurrects to newness of life. He conquers death and welcomes us in. We can have his righteousness as he gives it to us. He says, remember how obedient I was all the way to the cross? Jesus says, you can have that by faith. You're, now we are not, we're blameless and pure. Not just forgiven, but fully embraced by the Father in a living new relationship with God if we would trust in what? Received by faith. What Jesus has done simply by praying, Lord, I receive what you have done for me in your Son. Uh, John 1.12 says, To those who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, sons and daughters. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. Faith is simply, and everyone do it with me. Faith is simply hands out like this, receiving what he's done. That's all faith is, talking to him and receiving what he's done for us in Christ. Open hands, open minds, hearts saying, I receive that gift. If you've not yet received what Christ has done for you, and, and the Lord is tweaking your heart right now, would you just receive what Jesus has done for you? Would you just receive it? Would you talk to him in your mind, in your heart right now and say, I receive what your son has done. It, it, this is the power of God to transform our lives. A new identity, a new creation. We are his forgiven and embraced, validated, new purpose, eternal, his alone as his sons and daughters. Uh, we have these gospel sheets. Uh, believer or not yet believer, if you're sorting out, man, what is all this? If you're saying, man, it'd be really helpful if I knew the gospel a little more clearly and where to find this story in the scriptures. Uh, you can snag one of these on the way out. And it's just uh, passages, key passages to go through to tell that story, to know that story of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the gospel. Please snag one of those on the way out. But here's the thing. This is folly <laughs> to the world. This is absolute folly to the world. For the word of the cross, the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Uh, that paradigm goes through this whole passage. Uh, it's, uh, it's foolishness. And God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And, and there's this, uh, the world looks at us and says, that's so foolish. And God says, hey, you can count on me. I will show it to be wise and all-powerful. 
When we carry ourselves into all of eternity in the grace of God, if not before, uh, we will see the power and the might of our God. And people will say, well, where's the debater of this age then? Uh, but like in Paul's time in the church of Corinth, uh, so is our time. Uh, the Jews, the religious, and, and then the Greeks, the non-religious, they're both looking at this message and they're saying, that is silliness. Uh, the Jews, what Paul says, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. Uh, the Jews are looking and saying, I'm not so sure. And they, they come all through the book of John. We see this over and over. They come to Jesus. They say, prove it. Prove it. They say, show us a sign. Now, Jesus is doing signs his whole life. He's like, all right, I'm going to feed 5,000 with this little piece of bread. And they're like, boo. He's like, fine, here's another sign. I'm going to walk on water. They're like, lame. Hey, he, he resurrects his friend Lazarus. They're like, no way, right? They, they saw Lazarus dead, and then they see him alive. They're like, uh-uh. They keep saying, we want more. Prove it to us with another sign. Finally, Jesus walks away in John 12. He's like, you're getting no more signs. And they're like, come on, you know, we need more signs to prove it. He's like, no, you've had enough. You're choosing not to believe. At some point, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member, they're just choosing not to believe. And the Greeks are saying, well, we're, we are pretty sophisticated. Sophia, the Greek word for wisdom. And, and we can figure this life out on our own. We will decide what is right. We will decide what is good. I know what leads to life eternal. Or there is no eternal life. And this is all we've got. And here's how we live it. I see the world's way can be boiled down to this. What I discern, what I decide, what I deserve. I will discern in a closed system kind of way uh, through empirical evidence uh, what is true and what is right. I'll take the evidence I see here and I will decide, uh, yes, this is the way to live my life right now and there is no life to come and I discern what is true. And, and the world says, I decide what is good, right, and moral. It's, it's what I feel is good. If, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, what I feel is right, uh, what I decide is good, true, and moral, I know is good, right, and true, and moral for myself, and I will do as I please. And the world says, well, what I deserve, what I have earned uh, in a merit-based kind of system, uh, is, and what I want, I will pursue through uh, my earning and my merits. What I discern to be true, what I decide is right or moral, what I deserve, I want, I earn. But this is not working. Because what if what, uh, what you earn is at someone else's expense? Uh, what if your tolerance is intolerant of one who is not as tolerant or as thoughtful as you are? Uh, what if being a pile of molecules in a closed system doesn't answer the deepest questions you can't shake? Uh, certainly we're not getting better as a society. Some would argue we're getting worse. I just say we're always worse from start to finish. <laughs> our education isn't solving our problems. Our politics, oh boy. Our philosophy, just wait till November. It's going to, oh, oh. Our science, nothing. 
Eugene Peterson puts it like this. He's one of my favorite pastors and theologians. He says that sometimes I just love the way he summarizes things, captures an idea. He says this, the blunt reality is that for all of our sophistication, learning, and self-study, we don't know enough to run our lives. <laughs> uh, you can look at the personal lives of those around us. You can look at your own personal life. I mean, I see it in my own life. I don't know how to live my life. What I need is a, a God who has come in and showed me where life is found, give me the power uh, to live it in the grace of him, and, and then to share the good news uh, with those around us. When, when we get hit with what is life about, we, we need an outside source for knowledge and wisdom and power that's bigger and greater than ourselves. Otherwise, we will tear ourselves to shreds. It's still just might versus right by our own systems. But when God steps above us in benevolence and love and kindness and power and might and says, this is the way to life, and we listen, man, then we will flourish together. And in all of eternity, when he comes back, we will flourish together. The word of the cross, though, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Unless he steps in by his grace, oh, we are doomed. Uh, that's the good news and the hard news of the gospel, and we see it in our own lives. Uh, unless he steps in and opens our eyes to the grace of the good news of the gospel, then we will tear ourselves and tear one another to shreds. Unless he opens our eyes to what he has done for us in Christ, we will keep pursuing it, uh, uh, through our own efforts to earn our goodness before God and others. We'll keep pursuing our own uh, ways which will lead to disaster in morality and our finances and relationships and everything. Unless he comes in, and that's just what he's done, right? Philippians chapter 2, he sends his son. And then if we look at our own lives, we say, oh, by grace he called us. He opened my eyes. We don't look back and say, man, I made some amazing choices to bring myself to God. We look back and say, wow, he placed that person in this relationship in my life and, and he drew me to himself and then I saw what his son did as he opened my eyes in that magical moment when he gifted me faith and I said, that's who I want to live for. That's who I want to live for. That's who I trust. And he rescued us. And he gave us righteousness and wisdom and power. Why? And he tells us that no one would boast he even says, look, he took, he took the weak ones. Man, some of you are super smart in here. I mean, a lot. I see somebody really super smart in here. A couple of super smarts in here. <laughs> God makes an exception, and sometimes he chooses the super smart. <laughs> but then there's the rest of us. And he says, I want that one, the weak one, to shame the strong. And all of us, in that moment when our eyes are open, we say, oh, man, I had no wisdom on my own. I just need you. All I brought to this equation was my own sin and rebellion. <laughs> but you brought your love and mercy and grace. And he drew us in. Why? That we would just, the weak ones, every one of us, boast in our God. We'd say, that's my God. <laughs> that's the one who saved me. That's, he's the one who rescued me. Nothing I did on my own. This has a power to transform your life. 
when his righteousness, when his wisdom, when his sanctification, when this relationship with the living God comes to bear in our lives. This will change your life. I was sharing with a bunch of pastors uh, uh, on Monday, uh, 20 some of us and part of a, one of the networks we're part of and I'm sharing the journey of the well right and, and all the struggles of a pastor and, uh, and this one burly guy is on Monday <laughs> he's like sitting there <laughs> he's got tats all you know it, at some point it became really cool to be a pastor with tats I don't know when that happened I don't yet have my first tat one day you know Courtney's like, no, I'm, I'm never going to get a tattoo. I, I'm not cool enough. But anyway, this guy's cool enough. He's huge. He's got tats all sleeves, you know. And we're, we're spending this time in the Word, reminding ourselves just of the gospel, right? We, we need the good news of the gospel to transform our lives, even as pastors. <laughs> because our identity gets tied up. Oh, the growth of the church or how many churches we planted or do we see God do this, which is all we mean is, am I good enough, right? Am I strong enough? Did I prove myself, right? Pastors, and so this burly guy is getting hit with that and he just starts crying. And then he's telling this whole group of guys, he's like, I just realized I'm good enough. I don't have to prove myself in this church plant. <laughs> and then I, I went and I'm spending some time in prayer. We're all just sitting with the Lord and the truth of who we are as God's people by the grace that He's poured on us. And I'm praying. This is on Monday. And I just write, sometimes it helps me to write my prayers. And I pray, Father. I don't need a big church to validate me or give me joy or make my life worth it. I am yours. I pray that many will grow in their love and service to you because of the well. I pray that many will be saved because of your movement through the well. That many churches will be planted. But all I need and all I want is you and you to do as you please in my life and in the life of the well and our plants. I love you. I want you. And will follow you into whatever you desire in the coming ten years. The good news of the gospel will transform your identity, your soul, your life. It is so powerful in who you are and how you live out your life and your vocation as a mom or as a lawyer or as whatever you are. He will transform you by His power. As we head into our time of communion, I want to ask you just one question for you to ponder it. One, if you are living life on your own, would you just cling to Him now? Would you receive Christ? Would you receive the power of the gospel, what He's done for you? But if you are trusting in Jesus right now, I just want to ask you one question. Ah, sorry, it's two questions. <laughs> How has he shown his power in your life through the good news of the gospel? When you look back, how has he shown his might, his mercy, his power to you in the good news of who he's made you as a son or daughter? By grace and the life and the death and the resurrection of his son. How has he shown his power to you? And then the second question is, I, I want to ask you, where do you need the power of the good news of the gospel in your life right now?
How has He shown His power to you? And where do you need the power of the good news, the identity, the way He's validated you, the purpose He's given you, that He's with you now? Where do you need His power, the power of the good news of the gospel today, right now? Come now and reflect on who Jesus is and what He's done for you in the past and how He'll meet you in His might, His mercy, and His grace right now. And take and eat when you're ready.